Colossians chapter 4, um, there are, let's see here, there's uh, 18 verses. I should have you out by 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, actually, I'm only going to tackle four of them, okay? And you'll have to read the rest when you get home as homework, okay? Uh, let's dive into it. And uh, let me just kind of give the premise of tonight's talk real quick. I want to talk about courageous living. Um, now, why do I mean by courageous living? To be somebody who says, I live for Jesus Christ, that is a courageous lifestyle. That is a courageous lifestyle. Why is that a courageous lifestyle? Because it is so much easier said than done. Said than done. It is so, and it's easy to pretend as well. Um, we can look and act and put on the exterior or the impression that we are Christ followers, um, but we're not. And, and it's a courageous thing to actually be somebody who follows Christ. Now, I believe that Jesus is coming back very, very soon. What does that mean? That means that he came to this earth, he died on the cross, he rose again, and he says, I'll be back. And in Matthew chapter 24, there's a long list. It's like a checklist. You can read it yourself. Don't read it right now. Read it when you get home. There's like a checklist. When these things start happening, I'm coming back soon. Now, for those of you that have been in church longer than a few months, you may say to yourself, I've been hearing that for years. You're exactly right. There are certain things in Matthew chapter 24 that's been happening for years. But never, ever, 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 ever has there been a time in history where all of those things are all happening at the same time. That means Jesus should be coming back anytime. The Bible says in a twinkling of an eye. You twinkle your eyes. Everybody twinkle. Go ahead. You ladies are better than guys. <laughs> Just kind of twinkle. We blink, you twinkle, okay? In, in a twinkling of an eye. It's the next blink. You're standing in the presence of God. I was listening to some song. I can't remember. I think it's Beloch or Belochi. Baloch. There you go. <laughs> I want him to be Italian so bad. <laughs> Belochi. Uh, his name, what's his first name? Paul Belach. Real cool guy. I don't even know if this is the song that's his, what I'm thinking about right now. But he, there's a song, and I, you guys probably know the guy, the author, uh, the singer, uh, but he says this. He goes, um, let my last breath here be my first breath there. You don't know what that is? It's because I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> But that's exactly what it is. You, you blink, you open your eyes, you're standing in the presence of God. Your last breath here is your first breath there, except you don't breathe in heaven. That's a different sermon for a different day. But the bottom line, because we have new bodies and everybody gets six packs. And everybody gets hair, praise God. But in the last days, right before Jesus comes back, the courageous lifestyles seem to dissipate. They seem to fade. 
In fact, let me share a scripture with you. In 2 Timothy chapter um, 4, verse 3, uh, it reads like this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. In other words, if it's in the Bible, yippee ki yay. Will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires. I know that's what it says in the Bible, but... Suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. In fact, we're going to go find us a preacher that's going to tell us what we want to hear because we don't like the way that preacher talks about these things. We're going to find us a preacher that tells us what we want to hear so we don't feel so bad anymore. This is, that's the Frankie International Version, by the way. Um, uh, they, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. What does that mean? Just tell me what I'm doing is right. 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 And they'll look for teachers that will tell them, hey, what you're doing, it's okay. God's full of grace and mercy. Just keep doing what you're doing. Let me just share with you. God will not overlook what Jesus allowed himself to be crucified for. You can't mock it. Watch this. Let me share this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. It says this, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Self-control, let me just talk about self-control for a second. Our physical bodies go against our spirit. Okay, our spirit aims to please God. Our flesh says, who cares? And that war goes on in me, it goes on in you, it goes on in Paul. Paul said, my, my, I have a war going on within me. And, and what this is saying is in the last days, they just, man, no self-control. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm, whatever. Uh, they're not going to fight it anymore. They will be cruel and hate what is good. All of these things are happening in the last days. Our flesh gets strong. It never rests. Every day we wake up, we got our flesh on our bodies. It's working against what God wants us to do. Uh, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, you need to pray so that you do not go into temptation. You, gotta, you better pray. Peter clearly did not take his advice because he fell into temptation like crazy that night. Here's the thing. If you and I do not pray, I was having a conversation with Pastor James Allen. He's our, our marriage and family counselor. And he was talking about men hooked on pornography and how huge of an epidemic this is. And I looked at James and I said, you know what? What kind of counsel do you give these guys? And he goes, you know what? There's really... There's really only one thing that works. And he goes, they go to conferences all across the nation and they come back and they, they make people their accountability partner and they make their wives their accountability partner and that just makes their wives real mad. And then they make their best friends their accountability partner and then they come up with all these uh, strategies of self-discipline. And he goes, none of it ever, ever, ever works. 
none of it ever works. He goes, because this is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And here's the reality. If you and I are not praying, all of us are liable to do anything. All of us. Why? Because the less you pray, the less you want to pray, the weaker your spirit gets, the stronger your flesh gets. The more you pray, the more you want to pray, the stronger your spirit gets, the weaker your flesh gets. This is a courageous lifestyle. Living for Jesus is not a picnic. It's warfare. And if you don't feel like fighting it, it's just too much. I had my mother-in-law, Jeannie Mayo, tell me one time, if you ever want to get rid of temptation, just give in. It goes away right away. (laughs) Have you ever been staring at Bluebell ice cream? Which, by the way, we need to pray about Bluebell. This is not good. This is not good, man. This is not good. I know, I know that the world is coming to an end when Bluebell can no longer make ice cream. This is a problem, folks. This is a problem. I, I know. <laughs> In fact, can you just hold someone's hand? We just need to pray about the pralines and cream. What are we going to do? This isn't good. This isn't good. I, I think Brenham is just going to just take itself off the map. I mean, jeez. All right. So uh, it, it's a courageous lifestyle. Have you ever looked at ice cream or looked at something and just like, I want to eat it, 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 oh my goodness, I want to eat it, I want to eat it. And then all of a sudden you take a bite and all of a sudden the war is over. You're not tempted anymore. You're in. It, you're not tempted once you just give in. Just like, hook it. I'm done. And that's it, it, as soon as you get tired of fighting. The cool thing is, is that you don't have to fight the spiritual warfare every day. In fact, you don't have to fight it at all. You just fall in love with the idea of falling in love. And your appetite for sinful things goes away. Here's the thing. I mean, I'm preaching a sermon that's not even in my notes. Do you know that you and I crave what we eat most? How many of you have eaten pretzels in the last 30 days? Everybody who didn't raise their hand, I can guarantee you, when you get hungry, you don't sit there and go, man, I need me some pretzels. Because it's not part of your diet. Now, how many of you, maybe it, it, this is part of it right now, you go on like a salad binge. You just, you're eating salad seven or eight times a week. Raise your hand if you've ever done that or you're doing it right now. Seven or eight times a week you're eating a salad. And then when you get hungry, what do you want? Salad. Why? Because that's your diet. If you eat hamburgers every day, guess what? When you're starving and you're hungry, you're going to start thinking about hamburgers. If you don't ever eat hamburgers, you'll rarely crave a hamburger. You crave what you eat. You crave your diet. And if your diet in a spiritual things is constantly pursuing God, pursuing God, pursuing God, what do you want more of? 
pursuing God. If you don't ever pursue God, ever, the only thing you do is just swim in a, in, in a, in a pool of sin. Guess what? That, my friends, is what you will crave to do. So it's a courageous lifestyle. It is courageous to say, I live for you. On the count of three, I want you to say who you work for, okay? One, two, three, go. There's certain explanations. You work for American Airlines? It's funny how I only heard that one, all right? So let's talk about those buddy passes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, seriously, I'm just kidding. But your employer, you give your employer 30 hours, 40 hours, 20 hours, 50 hours, whatever it is. You give them that much of your life. Why? Because you work for them. What happens if you lived for them? How much of your life would you give them? Well, see, we say we live for God. That means it gets it all, right? So here's a courageous lifestyle. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. I'm only going to pick out four verses tonight. It reads like this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, before we even start talking about devoting our, our lives to prayer, before we even start talking about having an alert mind and all these kind of things, let's just recognize what God is saying here. I want you to talk to me a lot. Isn't that awesome? God wants you to talk to him a lot. You know what I love about God? Is when we talk with him, the Bible says that he will give us a new heart and a new spirit. Do you know what that means? That means you take Frankie, who has these terrible thoughts, and I'm just, I'm just going to just build this. And the more I talk to him, he takes my heart out and puts a new heart in. Amen. He literally changes my appetite. He takes my spirit out and puts a new spirit in. Now, the enemy would want you and I to be so consumed about how are we going to stop doing this, and i got to stop doing that, and if I'm going to please God, i got to stop doing this, and i got to stop doing that, and i got to stop. No, 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 no. That is not God talking to you. That's the enemy talking to you. Because if he can overwhelm you with all these things, what are you going to do? You're going to get overwhelmed and you're just going to quit. Don't do that. The Bible says this. I want you to talk to me and just pray about anything. Everybody say anything three times real loud. One, two, three. Anything. 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 Just talk to him. My goodness. Just talk to him. And what he will do is he will pull out your heart Take another heart and stick it in there. Pull out those desires. Take other desires and stick it in there. Now, that's what he wants to do. Now, let's unpack this. He loves when you and I ask for things. I was driving down. I used to live in Kingwood. 
And there's a road there called Lake Houston. Anyone ever here drive on Lake Houston? I remember distinctly, I was, pull, I was driving across Lake Houston from one shopping center to another shopping center. There used to be a Blockbuster there. You remember Blockbusters? <laughs> that, <laughs> poor guys. Um, I, I was driving from this shopping I was driving across and I was going through and I had to, it was two-way traffic and so I had to kind of wait in this turning lane. As I was going across, I just felt God speak to me. I'll never forget it. He said, I want you to ask me for more things. I'll never forget that. Because at that point in my life, I was kind of keeping score in my head. I don't want to ask for too many things. I don't want to be the guy that every time I pray, I ask for things. I don't want to just ask for things all the time. That's what I was telling myself. Has anyone here ever told themselves that? That's malaki. All right? That's malaki. The Lord loves it. He loves it when you ask for things. In fact, watch this. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8, the prayer of the upright is his delight. He delights it. He loves it. He loves it. Now watch this. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, it reads like this. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. He loves it. He loves it. Well, I was acting a fool last night. I can't pray today. That's not in the Bible. Pray every day, all the time. Watch this. In, in Isaiah chapter 62, this is how much he loves people praying and asking for things. Watch this. In Isaiah 62, verse 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. You know what that means? All day, all night, he's assigned people throughout the whole world to just constantly be praying. On one side of the globe, people are sleeping. He's got other people on the other side of the grove that are not sleeping and they're praying. And then when these people start sleeping, these people are awake and they're praying all day long, 24-7. He has set it up to where people are praying every second of every day. He loves prayers. He loves requests. He loves hearing it. And what is this, this verse saying? He's saying, devote yourself to this. Pray with an alert mind. Now, what does an alert mind mean? I'm so glad you asked. An alert mind means to simply work against distractions and hindrances. You just work against it. You recognize it. This is a distraction. This is a hindrance. I planned on praying today at 1 o'clock. I'm praying today at 1 o'clock. I can guarantee you emails will come in and people will call your phone at 1 o'clock. I promise you. And you just, you got to take your phone and throw it across the room, stick it underneath the rug, do whatever you got to do. I don't ever pray without a pad and paper and a pen. Why? Because I have ADD, a deeper dimension. I, <laughs> I think of things all the time. Milk, kids, 
dogs. And I just write it down. The minute I write it down, I can go back to praying. I write it down, go back to praying. I write it down, I go back to praying. Pick up kids from school. Now I can go back to praying. (laughs) Ever. Now, I I have taken this for granted. And and there's a portion of the room that just goes, Frankie, you don't need to hit this point. I I got this point down for... uh, I've known that for years. Let me hit it for the people that don't. Oftentimes, people don't pray because they don't know how to start and how to get going. So let me just tell you, the way I do it is I think in categories, okay? So write this down. This will really help you. Category number one is I'm just going to thank him and praise him until I can't do it anymore, okay? Thank him and praise him until I can't think of anything else to praise him and thank him for. Now, when, now watch this. This is what I just said is so important because for those of us in the room that you can only pray for like 60 seconds, when you have the mentality of I'm going to thank him and praise him until I can't think of anything else, you'll find just that part right there is going to take you 10 or 15 minutes. And as you do that part right there every day, it'll take you a half an hour just to do that first part. So you thank them and pray them for every single thing you can think of. Now, this is me. Now, there's other people in this room that pray longer than I do each day. Longer than I do. And they have a different system. I'm just telling you my system, okay? No system is a wrong system. I'm just saying the sooner I built this little system in my head... I've been able to pray a lot longer. So the first thing I do is I just praise them and thank them for every single thing I can think of. The next thing I do is I get on my hands and knees right away. Now you say, well, weren't you on your hands and knees to begin with? For me, no. Now, when I pray, I go into my guest bedroom. That's half guest bedroom, half office. And I shut the door and I shut the lights and I just walk back and forth. Now you say, why do you walk back and forth? I don't know. Just do. That's just me. I walk back and forth. I walk back and forth. Sometimes I get on my knees. Sometimes I don't. But I just walk back and forth, back and forth. And some people use music. I don't use music. I get distracted with music. So I just walk back and forth. I walk back and forth. I pray. Sometimes I stop. Sometimes I look up. Sometimes I look down. Sometimes I'm doing this. Sometimes I'm doing this. But I am just thanking him. And then, now at this point, I always get on my knees. This is category number two. I get on my knees, I put my hands in my face, and I begin to ask God to forgive me of everything I can think of. Whatever I can think of, I ask Him. And I ask the Holy Spirit, there's things that I can't remember that I did. Will you please bring it to my remembrance? Then I stand up. Now, why am I doing that? Because I want the presence of God to saturate that room and saturate me, and he is allergic to sin. So let's get the sin out. Then I begin to worship and praise him, and then I start hitting categories. I start asking for things like crazy. I just start asking for whatever I can think of. I usually start with my family. It's like concentric circles. I start with my family. I start with me first. Then I start with my family. And then I go to the church. And then I go to what I think and believe that he wants me to pray about regarding the whole world. 
I caught myself praying about the families that, um, that lost somebody because ISIS killed somebody in their family. I thought, man, those families are probably heartbroken right now. I'll pray about them. At the end of the day, my friends, it is a courageous lifestyle to really pray. To really pray. To really pray. It is so easy to not be a person of prayer. That is so easy. So easy. You will never be disappointed in God if you're a person of prayer. Can I say that again? You will never be disappointed in God if you're a person of prayer. You will never look at the church. You'll never look at a preacher. You'll never look at God and be disappointed if you're a person of prayer. If you are not a person of prayer, you will try your hardest to not be disappointed because you'll feel bad about being disappointed, but you will be disappointed. It's just it is. Here we go. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4, verse number 3. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan. So this is what he's saying. He's going, look, pray that we... Now he's in jail. He's saying, pray that I have some opportunities. Now, what jumps out at me when I read that? That means that there's certain opportunities that will come just because you've prayed. See, there's this mentality that some people have that what's due to me is going to come to me whether I pray or not. So why even pray? What's due to me is going to come to me whether I pray or not. That is half true. You probably didn't pray for the shirt on your back and you got it, right? God will give you things that you didn't ask for because he's that good. But the Bible also says that you have not because you... In other words, there's certain things you don't have because you haven't asked me. I've given you things just because I'm that great of a father. But I have the cattle of a thousand hills. I own the whole world. And you don't have certain things because you haven't asked me. Isn't that interesting? So it says, ask, and certain opportunities will take place. Number five, now this is the point where some of you came to church tonight just to hear this next point. Look at the person next to you and say, get ready. Look at them again and say, I think this is for you. There you go. Say, I think this is for you. There you go. Number five, verse number five, live wisely. Isaiah, this is for you. I'm just saying. <laughs> Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. All right, let's just unpack that word by word. It says, live wisely. Write this down on your notes because this is so important. What is the wise thing to do? Everybody say that with me. What is the wise thing to do on three? One, two, three. What is the Oh, it sounds so beautiful when you say it. Let's say it again real loud. One, two, three. What is the... Look at the person next to you and say, what is the... What 
is the wise thing to do? All right, here we go. Are you guys ready for this? This is so important. That question right there is, is, is worth the gas money that you spent to come here tonight. Because you can ask yourself that question in whatever situation you're in. Just whisper to yourself, what is the wise thing to do? If you're married and your wife says, what do you mean by that? Before you answer, <laughs> just say to yourself, what is the wise thing to do? Whatever it is, if you, whatever it is, if you, let me see, I wrote a few things down. If you uh, uh, want to eat something, either this or that, what is the wise thing to do? If you have somebody on the road that's looking at you mean and they're boom, 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 just ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? If you're single in this room, <laughs> just ask yourself what is the wise thing to do because here's the deal what's love got to do with it <laughs> that's got to be in the bible somewhere right what's, here's the thing What's the wise thing to do? Come on, say that with me on three. One, two, three. What is the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? Just because you love her doesn't mean diddly or squat. <laughs> I, I'll never, ever, ever, ever forget being in Guatemala with my dad. My dad. <sighs> my dad. He just says things so straightforward that it makes me feel awkward. <laughs> we were sitting there and this cute little Guatemala girl, she was 17 years old. She wanted to get married to this guy. He was 19. She was 17. She's just a rock in the church. This guy can't spell Jesus frontwards. It doesn't even know. It could be talking about Jesus for all we know. It just He has no idea who Jesus is. The, he thought the church was a bank has no clue, no clue. Was, he, he, he had to go in the church and go, I man, I thought this place, was, he's no clue, not a Christian at all, has no desire to be a Christian. The whole thing is a bunch of malaki. She loves the Lord her, with her whole heart. She's sitting there crying. My dad's talking to her through an interpreter. And she says in, in Guatemalan or Spanish, I guess, <laughs> She's <laughs> she was speaking Guatemalan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So she says to my dad, she goes, I love him. And my dad looked back at her and said, So? <laughs> and he says that I'll never forget. He goes, Love is not enough. I'll never forget those words. He goes, Love is not enough not enough you cannot marry an unbeliever love is not enough I got to thinking about that love's not enough 
Love is not enough to marry somebody. The absence of love is not a reason to divorce somebody. Love is not enough to walk down the aisle. Love is not enough to call an attorney. Love is an emotion that has to be cultivated and sometimes has to be killed. It is a emotion. At the end of the day, what is the wise thing to do? I feel awkward right now. <laughs> Let's go to verse number five. <laughs> Are y'all still here? <laughs> what is the wise thing to do? I just feel like I need to say this. It might just be for one person, but I think I need to say this. Oftentimes, a married person will begin to look at somebody else that they're not married to and feel drawn to them and compelled to them because they love them. Love is not enough. Well, I love them more than I love my spouse. That is not enough. That is an emotion that's going to take you down a path and you're willing to give up everything for it. It is not God's will for you to do that because you're in love. It is not enough. It is not enough. Every time, every time somebody gets a divorce, three generations have to pay for it. Three generations for that one divorce. I understand sometimes it has to happen. I understand. It happened to my parents. It happened to my wife's parents. I understand that. I understand. You go to heaven even if you got a divorce. Divorce does not send you to hell. Here's the deal. Why does God say I hate it? Let's look at my situation. Um, I pay for it. My, mo my mom and dad, they pay for it, so that's one generation. I pay for it, that's the second generation. My kids, they got, they got Grammy and Grandpa over here, Grammy and Grandpa over there. That's just my side. Then my wife's side, she's got Grammy and Grandpa over there, and then Grammy and Grandpa over there. Now we've got to come up with different names. This is Grandma, and this is Grammy, and then this is Grandma Arlie, and then this is Grandma Ma. It's like we're running out of Grammy names here. <laughs> I, I'm like, man, we have great Grammy, great Grammy, Grammy, great, great, I don't ask me. Her name's Jill in my world. <laughs> <laughs> Jill and that's Lyle. <laughs> like, I don't know the Gramps and Gramps. I don't know what you're calling them. Ask your mom. I don't know. <laughs> but what's my point? My point is it just affects so many generations. We're talking if a generation is 85 years times three. I mean, if you're the devil, you just hit jackpot. You know what I'm saying? And so it's a big, big deal. So you've got to ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? When your boss says something to you and you want to just say something back, just ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? When you don't feel like exercising, ask yourself, 
Should I yes? Should I no? What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? You can ask yourself that question for every single situation, every decision. Don't ask yourself what you want to do. Ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? I try to run every single morning. This morning, my legs told me out loud, (laughs) no! (laughs) What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? All right, now I think we've hit, we beat that one into the ground. Let me finish off that verse, though, as it says to not only be wise, but watch this, live wisely among those who are not believers. It's interesting that he says, live wisely around people who do not believe in God. I'm telling you, I can, I, every single time I read in this New Testament, it keeps on talking about non-believers, non-believers, non-believers. Do you know that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have an assignment to non-believers. You have an assignment. The Bible says, go ye into all the world, making disciples. You have an assignment. If you you don't, the only people that do not embrace that assignment are the people that don't read their Bible. Because it is abundantly clear that we, our assignment is to the non-believer. Oh my goodness, it is so important. So the Bible says live wisely around non-believers. Why? Because we're assigned to them. If you're in this room and you don't believe in Jesus, I just want to let you know. There are so many people, including Christians, that fight with their faith. You'll never not have any doubt. There will always be a part of you that goes, faith is not the absence of doubt, but the presence of belief. And sometimes you have this much belief. That means you have this much faith. And the good news for you is Jesus knew that there would be seasons that we would have this much faith. And that's why he said, if you only have it the size of a mustard seed, that's good enough. You can only use what you got. Are you with me? All right. Is anyone here glad they came tonight? All right. Good. That was a clap that says it's good, but don't take all night. All right. Last and final verse. Verse number six. Let your conversion be gracious and attractive. So that you will have the right response for everyone. Let your conversion, I'm sorry, your conversation. Man, I'm so glad I said that wrong because I was reading it and I was like, man, what did I have on plan to say about that? <laughs> I was sitting here going, man, what am I going to say about this? And then it was like conversation. I'm like, oh yeah, I got notes for that word. Um, <laughs> conversation. I want to talk to the single people again just because I just feel compelled. Raise your hand if you're single. You are not married. Oh, man, that's why I feel compelled to talk to all you guys. Some of you are sitting in the room going, wait a minute, I thought we were together. (laughs) What's up with that? (laughs) Check my Facebook status. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, <laughs> some of you are like, I don't know why I'm glad. I don't know. I don't know if I'm better. I think I'm single. He doesn't know we're single, but <laughs> I haven't told her yet, but just trust me, I'm single. <laughs> How many men in the room went, who's single? Who's single? Who put their hands up? <laughs> oh man, she didn't put her hand up. Oh man, I'm gonna pick a different church now. <laughs> <laughs> it says this watch let your conversation this is what i want to say to all the single people dating is hard dating is hard because there nobody's ever honest you got to like be columbo to figure out what they're all about right it takes you like six months to figure it out it's like man i wish everybody you know like those hello my name is stickers don't you wish everybody had a hello, my name is, then their name, and it's like bullet point of what they're really like. I'm obsessive compulsive. I get jealous fast. I'm going to steal from you. I don't have a job. I'm going to live off of you. Don't you wish it would just be like clear? It takes you like a 12 months to figure all that stuff out. It's like, man, I'm a whole year older. Didn't even know. Didn't even know. <laughs> this is how you can know. You ready? The Bible says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Just listen to the, the words and just put them in two categories. Every single word, every single word, just take their word out of their mouth and dump it into two, one category to the other. One category to the other. If it's negative and pessimistic and insulting and sarcastic, that's what's in there. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So every time, single people, I hope you guys are taking notes. This is kind of good. Every time, you listen to this, every time, I'm thinking of somebody right now. He's, he's single, and I just think to myself, man, I sure hope a girl hears my message before they date you. It's just so sarcastic. He's funny. He's funny. My mother-in-law would say, Frankie, if you got to be funny, if you got to be sarcastic to be funny, then don't be funny. That's what she used to say to me. I was like, are you being funny right now? Frankie, you're doing it again. <laughs> Just take it and put it in one bucket or the other. One bucket or the other. If it's negative, negative, sarcastic, pessimistic, negative, sarcastic, pessimistic, negative, sarcastic, pessimistic, that's what's in there. Insulting. If it's uplifting, compliments. And I don't care what they're talking about. They could be talking about a guy on TV. It could be talking about their boss. It could be talking about the policeman directing traffic. Doesn't matter what they're talking about. Just take their words and put it in one bucket or the other. And that's what's in there. That's what's in there. Now, just because I feel compelled to help out the single people in the room tonight... Just because their heart is good doesn't mean that's the heart for you. 
right? You got to back up and say, what is the wise thing to do? Now, if their heart is bad, well, that's a no-brainer. You still ask, what is the wise thing to do? But this is how I want to end the service. What keeps coming out of your mouth? And what is the status of your heart? I got to tell you, there's a, a word in my vocabulary that the Lord has asked me to take out. I said it the other day. It's not a curse word. It's just not a word that I feel like the Lord wants in my vocabulary. And the Lord asked me to take it out. I can feel my relationship with him just a little bit better because I'm willing to take that word out of my vocabulary. Now, if I told you the word, 90% of this room would go, are you serious? For me, that word doesn't belong. For you, it might be just fine. But for me, God doesn't want me saying that word anymore. In my heart, I can feel it's just a little tiny, 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 tiny bit more like his because I'm willing to take that word out. Because out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. Here's my question to you. What is the status of your heart tonight?